Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us here at We Watch a Thing. I'm Topher. I'm Billy. How are you, mate? I'm pretty good, actually. Yeah, I'm not too bad. How about you? No complaints, buddy. No, well, co- no complaints? Oh, okay, look, I could use a job. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you, you lost your job yesterday, mate. Well, you didn't lose your job. You're, you're out of contract, which, you know, it happens. Yeah, so we're recording this on a Sunday. Friday was our, our last day working together. Well, for now. I mean, that's, what, our, our fifth time working together since we met? Something like that. <laughs> so it'll it'll happen again. We'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> back and better than ever, buddy. <laughs> that's not true. We stopped caring a while ago. <laughs> that's very true. At least, though, it'll give you a bit of time to watch some movies. Yeah. Do you, pa- do you have pay for them. But <laughs> do you have big movie plans for the next week? I'm going to catch up on eighth grade. Oh, yeah, I'm keen for that. I'm going to catch up on... Oh, look, I was going to catch up on Bird Box, but now I don't know if I can be bothered. It's not meant to be good. Mate, it's just on Netflix. Yeah, I know. It's not like it's a hard watch. Yeah, we'll see. But that's not what we're talking about this week. No. What did we watch? We watched Final Act of a Trilogy. A trilogy which before two years ago nobody knew was a trilogy. Indeed. <laughs> Glass. Glass. I was so excited for this film. I was a giant fan of Unbreakable and Split. People, long-time listeners will remember that Split was in my top five of that year. It was indeed. And that was that was amazing because nobody knew that that was a sequel until it actually came out and people saw that final scene. Mind like, blown. Samuel L. Jackson has come out saying he didn't know it was a sequel until he saw it. That's cool. Yeah, isn't it? I have a um I have something just to tidy up on before we Oh yeah. rip get into get into glass. Yep. You remember when we were talking about Mary Poppins Returns? I do remember. And I said that I thought one of the kids had the evil gene. Yes, I do, and we've had like four more people come to us and say you're right. <laughs> right, cuz my my other half was listening to that episode and she was like, "You know why you think that? It's cuz that kid was one of the sparrows who spoiler alerts to Game of Thrones. Don't listen for <laughs> don't listen for the next fifteen seconds. Do not listen for the next fifteen seconds. He's one of the kids that stabs the shit out of the high septum. Really? Yes. Ah, so he's okay. So subconsciously, you were just looking at him, going, "That kid did something bad." Yeah, but I think that's why he was cast in that role. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's got that look. Because he's got the evil gene. <laughs> We have had like four more people message us and be like, "Yeah, dude, you are you are right on that kid." <laughs> yeah, gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> anyway, Glass, Glass, uh, written, produced, and directed by M Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, Spencer Treat Clark, Charlene Woodward, and Anya Taylor Joy, um, reprising their Sarah Paulson. Ro- thank you very much. Reprising their roles. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> I was like, if you are going to leave out Sarah, I'm a I'm a cut you. <laughs> And Sarah Paulson <laughs> as, a, as a new role. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, of course, James McAvoy, who, as I said in my split episode, he should have been nominated for Best Actor, and I stand by that with this. But what's it about, Toph? Um, It's about three fantastical people who get locked up. Yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> um, how were your expectations going into the film? Uh, not high. Yeah, just because of things you've heard. Or- uh, coming off the one trailer I'd seen, I was like, I was pretty underwhelmed by that trailer. Okay, see, I saw no trailers, and then I was aware of the critical response and was like, okay. So, touching back again on the previous films, I watched Unbreakable uh, two days before I watched this because I hadn't seen Unbreakable in a long time, and 
it's one of those times where I like, you know, S- Samuel L. Jackson, most of the time, I think he's in front of a camera doing loud talking Jackson. Saying motherfucker. And, yeah. And we, you know, everyone, everyone enjoys that. Yeah. But that's mostly his thing. Yeah. He's like, he was really good in Unbreakable. And I think he was still really good in this. I think he carried that through. I didn't think he was as good in this as in Unbreakable. Okay. I thought, I, like, I, I don't have a, any gripes with his performance as such. Yeah. But I don't think he was as good as in Unbreakable. Okay. Um, how, how, on your rewatch, did you still very much enjoy Unbreakable as a film? I, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. Right. I, I love Unbreakable. Every time I rewatch it, I, I still very much love it. Um, it's always interesting to go back and watch Bruce actually try at something, <laughs> which yeah. at Unbreakable, he was still in that mode. Yeah. And then you also rewatched Split? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't. Your partner did. Because she hadn't seen it. So Oh, she hadn't seen it at all. No. Right. So she watched it before we went to Mr. Glass. <laughs> the kids. They call me Mr. Glass. <laughs> Again, it wasn't Michael Jackson that said uh, that. Oh, that's how he says the line, mate. It's not. I call just, me Mr. Glass. I watched it two days ago. Yeah, and, I'm telling yeah. you. No, I'm telling you that's how he says it. The it's- kids. They call me Mr. Glass. I don't, I don't know what's happening in your head <laughs> when you watch things, but but I'm interested. <laughs> I'd like to try it one day. <laughs> um, McAvoy, who, I mean, I, I think McAvoy was outstanding in Split. In this film, I think it's I, I think it's hugely impressive, but I also am really aware that I'm watching someone act. Okay. And I, look, look, I do still think it's really impressive. There are times where he switches personas on camera. And before he's said anything, you know who it is. Yeah. So I- that's so that's really impressive. Yeah. But there's also a part of me that's just like sitting there watching this so much acting kind of thing. I do get that from the Beast persona. I know what you're talking about. And I think a lot of that is that, I mean, how do you act that realistically? Like, how, how do you take that character who is supposed to be practically an animal, yet somehow speaks English and give them- yeah, a voice. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I I think it's more impressive when you see his other characters, for example, like Patricia, Dennis, or yeah, all these other ones. Where as soon as he switches, you can see who he is before he speaks. The Beast. I yes, I I do think that that is a little bit outrageous. But I think at the end of the day, it's a comic book film, and that is what a comic book character is like. Which is why so often we, you know, we have this gripe about Marvel villains all the time. Because that's how they're written. <laughs> the beast in this one, like, it works. The, th- the the idea of the beast and the threat of the beast in Split certainly works better for me than constantly, not constantly, but regularly enough actually seeing the beast in, yeah. gla- in glass. I know what you mean. In, in, in Split, you don't see him until that final act. And then when he does come out, he remains out until yeah. the end of the film, really. And, yeah, in this, where he does come out so often- and for such short periods of time, I, I agree with you. I feel like the threat of that character is gone. I found this film both extremely satisfying and slightly disappointing at the same time. I love these three characters and I was I was satisfied with seeing them again and and with their arcs. There were elements of the film I didn't love, but on the whole, I, I was happy. How about you? No, I couldn't say I was happy. Right. Um, I didn't. I didn't hate my time in the cinema, yep. but no, I wasn't happy with it. I I think my biggest problem is the huge amount of characters that 
Shyamalan tried to give time to that were unnecessary and took away, you know, like- Yeah, the three, the three kind of, I mean, not sidekicks, but yeah. if you, you know, you kind of name them as those three sidekicks. There's not a lot for them to do. No, and yet you follow them for quite a bit of time. Yeah. Um, like Anna Taylor-Joy, who I loved in Split, I, I, I felt like she was phoning it in in this. And also, I mean, her character had too much screen time for the amount she had to do. Yeah. She, I mean, she may well have just read her part and was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, it's like, okay, we've got to get Anya Taylor-Joy back. But then we're not. Yeah. 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 Uh, I thought it was it was nice to see the kid from Unbreakable reprising his role. Yeah, agreed. Nineteen actually. years later, and actually, I I don't know that I've seen him in anything since. I haven't bothered checking his IMDb page, but he was, he's probably happy to have the work. He was the kid in Gladiator. Yeah, right. Kind of straight straight after Unbreakable. Yeah, but then I then I couldn't name anything else. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed him. As far as the three side characters go, he was. He was the one that, to me, felt like had the most purpose, his relationship with his father and stuff. And the one thing I was disappointed by was the way the film ended. I actually expected a little bit more from his character. But, you know, the way Mr. Glass at the end says, we thought it was the finale, but it's an origin story. That line to me is like, well, is it? <laughs> yeah, there's there's some lines in that in the film, and particularly when- Shyamalan is really leaning into comic book stuff. Yeah, which I do think he went a bit over. Yeah, where it's like, okay, well, that's kind of a cool sounding line, but it's also not true. Yeah, I was expecting that maybe it would it would end up being his origin story, for example. But no, I think they were referring to the fact that the Beast's origin was tied to Mr. Glass, but that's not this story. <laughs> Yeah, so just just because you brought it up, let's jump forward in time a bit. So, and spo- spoilers, everyone, in case you've never listened to the show before. Um, and also, spoilers: an M Night Shyamalan film has twists. What? <laughs> um, the 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 reveal of Kevin's dad was on the train. Dis- discuss. I was I was happy with it. To be honest, I didn't mind it. I think I may have actually rolled my eyes. I get that, but I would like to draw your attention to this line from. Unbreakable. All those years ago. Uh, he says there's always two kinds. There's the soldier villain who fights the hero with his hands, and then there's the real threat, the brilliant and evil arch enemy who fights the hero with his mind. So back then he's already referring to the two villains. Yeah, because originally the character of Kevin was going to be an unbreakable. Yeah. I was just like, Kevin's dad was on the train. Like, really? Was he? I, was he? <laughs> I'm all right with that. What like it's been. A, it wasn't a small train. It's been established that multiple thousands of people died on this like, train. In in general, in in storytelling, coincidences work better at the beginning of a story. Yeah. At the end of a story, when it turns out that something like really hinges it on, it feels like a duet machina. You're just like, come on. Yeah, I get that sentiment, but I, I was I was actually okay with it. I didn't mind it that the reveal that he, you know, that Glass simultaneously created. David Dunn and the Beast at the same time. Yeah, I, I was I was actually okay with that. Happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that uh, Shyamalan he he went too deep with it. This is a comic book movie. There's like ten scenes where people go into a comic book shop for no reason other than to look at the cover of a, a comic <laughs> and realize it relates to them somehow. <laughs> and uh, I do think that that went a little bit over the top. 
because it's it's prominent in Unbreakable, but I do think it feeds into the story more because it's all through Elijah's character. It's not like other random characters in that film are, are reading comics. Yeah. It's all Elijah, and that's his thing. He is he, obsessed exactly. with comic books. Yeah. Whereas in this film, it it's everyone else. Sarah Paulson does it. David yeah. Dunn's son does it. Anna Taylor-Joy does it. They all just randomly pick up comics at one point and are like, oh, I know something. Yeah. And I do think that that went too far. That's right. In, in Unbreakable, you're in, you're in settings where it makes sense that they're around. Yeah. A lot of this film takes place in a shockingly unsecure facility yeah i've got to say yeah i mean that to me i think is the film's biggest biggest weakness is you sit there at points going well this is ridiculous like okay so there's there's one kind of nurse security guard i don't know what he's supposed to be whether he's a nurse or security guard who likes to chat at the front door before coming into work yeah somehow the other guy just leaves while this happens yeah and somehow that links to the entire building being unsecure for the entire night yeah (laughs) Not to mention, if you're, if you're Sarah Paulson's doctor, who knows that, like, for most of the film, we think that she thinks they're just imagining this. Yeah. yeah. But by the end of the film, we know that she knows. Yeah, which why is our would, second twist. Why would you have them together? Yeah. Why would you put? Why would you take the risk of putting these people not only in the same facility, but then in the same room? Yeah, I guess that's my question is actually what was her end goal? If- so our second twist after it's revealed that Glass created Kevin is that Sarah Paulson's character is part of a secret society to to, to what to to end superheroes to the, to hide them yeah to keep to keep the balance so you know by the end of the film all three of our heroes the, are dead she's the league of shadows yeah by the end of the film all three of them are dead now if that was her plan all along why didn't she just kill them like what? I I was a bit confused as to why they were in the hospital. Was she trying to like? Was her original plan to subdue them by convincing them they were delusional? Yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah, you could concoct this version where she's like, the most powerful thing would be to have these people come out and say, I I was delusional. It's not real. Yeah, but it is, of course, if you're her, and clearly they don't care about killing people. They're fine with that. So it would be more convenient to just kill them. Yeah, but also Mr. Glass has been in this facility for 19 years. Mm. Like, and if she couldn't, like, I, I don't, yeah, why bring them all together? He was already there in the facility. He was already drugged beyond reason. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. That that part of the story for me was a little bit, and and Sarah Paulson, I love Sarah Paulson. I think she can be brilliant. I I, I really feel like she phoned it in here. Oh, she was one of my. I she was right up there with oh. my with the people I liked most. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually thought that all of the original three kind of really brought it again. I thought Bruce Willis oh. surprisingly gave a decent performance for the first time in years. I thought he pretty much snoozed through this as much as he does most things. Really? Like not not as much, not as much. <laughs> like for twenty first century Bruce Willis, yeah, this is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like he really kind of. But only in, the co- only in the context of 21st century <laughs> Bruce Willis. And, um, and Sam Jackson, I, I thought, was did a great performance too. I, I think it's a shame that he doesn't talk for the first half of the film because he is so enigmatic in this role that you can't help but listen to him when he talks. And I wish that they had used that a little bit more. Yeah, I f- felt that way in Unbreakable, but not this one. Yeah, right. When she does gather them into a room, and we're, okay, wow, okay, they're, they're all together now. Yeah. This- for me, like that, that should be a big moment. And for me, it is a nothing scene. Yeah, I really wish we had had more interaction between Elijah and David 
because they you know they're the original two you know like that's they that's right. started that's, that's, this our, whole ba- that's our Batman and Joker exactly and and they barely interact in this film until that final act and yeah I would have liked to have seen more interaction between them I'm going to talk camera for a little bit yeah okay yeah because I found the camera work interesting so I I really like the look of Unbreakable where they really lent into this almost bleak looking you yeah. know realistic grounded thing yeah very and washed out colors and yeah stuff. yeah it's very yeah and then the early scenes with David and his son in this film kind of follow that I think and I, I like the look of it the meshing of that with these admittedly really nicely shot you know when people are talking down the barrel in this film as was the case with split yeah. it's a gorgeous shot it's like really low depth of field nice bokeh kind of thing going on for anyone who knows what that means um and <laughs> and like explain it, 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 bokeh is basically the flares it's well no it's not the flares no but it's like the shape <laughs> of the light coming into the iris and yeah people people love opening up an iris all the way and doing it because yeah it looks really nice yeah the problem with it for me is that it doesn't mesh at all with that grounded, bleak look that they've established at the beginning of the film. Yeah, I, I got to, and I blame the advent of digital filming a lot for this because getting that nice bokeh depth of field is so easy on digital, and like you said, it looks so nice that people just do it because it's like this looks nice. Yeah, and but it they does. Don't, they don't think about how it serves the shot. Anytime you see Sarah Paulson's doctor talking in that in that the the, the pink room where they all are. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's really nice looking shots. Personally, I think it should be ugly shots. Yeah, I agree with you. Not not even necessarily ugly. Like I don't think Unbreakable is an ugly film by any stretch. I think it's gorgeous. But it is it's it's shot for the style of the film. It's a it's a grittier, more subdued reality. This looks like a low budget film to me. Like more than his other films, this looks very low budget. I didn't get a low budget vibe from it. Yeah, it was just the vibe it gave me. Mm. Let's talk about the ending. So you've got your two twists, which firstly is, you know, that Glass is is tied to Kevin as well. And then your second twist is that Sarah Paulson all along was part of this secret society. And I was I was actually happy with both those twists. Um, how did you feel about the Sarah Paulson twist? Um, didn't really care. Yeah? Yeah. I was okay with that. And then the film decides to kill off all three of our characters. Did you see that coming? Were you happy with the way that these characters got their end? It's a shame to say that I don't really care. Yeah, right. I've seen a lot of complaints online about, for example, the way that David died in a puddle. <laughs> I, I actually, it, I was really good with that. I thought that that was the best death of the three of them. Yeah, I would agree. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. But I, I do agree that I- I don't particularly care. I, you know, I was never expecting this to continue on into a larger franchise or anything. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm all right with it. I felt like there were more interesting ways it could have gone. Like, even at the death, there could have been a twist where, uh, like you mentioned it before, I think, where David's son, like it's hereditary. Yeah. And he's got it. And I was expecting And he's that. been hiding it because he didn't, because he's like, this is dad's thing. It means this is all dad's got in life. Yes. So you do it. Yeah, and then he steps in like at the end of um Brian Singer's outstanding Superman film. <laughs> <laughs> not not even a rescue. I would have been okay if the film had played out the way it had or something. Except that, you know, what I would have liked, for example, is if you didn't get the Sarah Paulson twist through David, but maybe 
after everyone's dead, mm. David's son brushes against Sarah Paulson, and that's when you see the twist. Yeah, for good example, call. good call. You know, like uh, yeah, I I would have preferred something more like that, and not not leading to a sequel because like I didn't expect this to lead into a bigger franchise, but just you know a little something else for me. The most interesting thing they could have done was that Sarah Paulson is an actual doctor, not from the League of Shadows. And that they are delusional. And that they are delusional. I was wondering that myself for the large majority of the film. Again, a thing I saw people complain about was how there was no tension in that because we knew that they weren't delusional. But in my head, I'm like, well, did we? Mm. <laughs> like, we saw the other films from their perspectives. If you look at, if you look at, yeah, sure, if you watch Split, you go, okay, yeah, okay, he is a beast. But- I would have been okay if that was the twist, was that they were actually delusional. And if that had been where the movie had gone, was building more tension around, are they superpowered? Are they crazy? And that could explain away why they're in a facility that they can clearly get out of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It did. Well, that's the thing. It didn't take them long. And if Glass has been in this facility for 19 years, I don't understand. If he's able to escape so easily in a night- and yeah, okay, he has the beast with him, but it's pretty clear to me he could have done that on his own. Why didn't he? <laughs> 19 years is a long time. It's a long time. And they explain it away as, oh, we, we upped his drugs because- But he hasn't been taking his drugs. He makes that clear very early on. He hasn't been drugged for 19 years. So, um, one thing I would like to talk about, though, is the soundtrack. Okay. I love the score for both Unbreakable and Split. And I was very, very glad that this used elements of both those scores. I was so happy to hear the Unbreakable music come up. I, I, I was re the thing I was most happy with was the score. I think it was brilliant. There was there was certainly some bits of music where that I, that I was really into this kind of low hum sort of element of the score. Yeah, that was that kind of added some feeling and tension to scenes that without it, I don't think would have had it. Yeah. Um. So I'm def yeah I, like I'm I'm a I'm a tick on the score. I arguably think that the best segment of the film, I think you mentioned it before, was that first fifteen to twenty minutes, um, which primarily focuses on David and his son, uh, where you get those scenes of David looking for the beast. Yeah, I thought they were fantastic. That was definitely the best part to me. And when he saved the cheerleaders, pretty serious. Um, living out some fantasy stuff there, isn't there? In in M Night's writing. <laughs> I'm going to start my movie with rescuing a bunch of cheerleaders. <laughs> now you two kiss. <laughs> and as always, him showing up, like, you're not Hitchcock, mate. We don't need a Shyamalan appearance. Most people wouldn't even recognise that it's Shyamalan. But he has to throw- and, and in this, he actually gave himself quite a bit of dialogue, too. Completely unnecessary. Like- I didn't understand what that was meant to be when he's in David's shop and he's purchasing security stuff and he starts talking about, what does he say? Someone was murdered or something? But it's irrelevant to the plot. He's not talking about anyone the Beast has taken. Yeah, it's stunningly self-serving. He's just because, talking about be some rando. Because if you take out that scene, it matters zero. Yeah. <laughs> so the only reason for that scene to be there is because you're in it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just make yourself a random doctor or something then, Shyamalan. Yeah. Like- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's almost as bad as Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, <laughs> where it's like a 20-second shot of this large with man a double with a double base, base <laughs> trying to get onto a train. <laughs> <laughs> the most awkward cameo in cinematic history. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you were making a film 
and you were that much of a wanker, which I know you are. Let me try and find that headspace, Billy. (laughs) Where you wanted to give yourself a cameo. How would you, would you give yourself lines, do you reckon? Well, I'd be the lead, so. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be the one saving the cheerleaders. Yeah, I'd have, yeah. (laughs) Now kiss. (laughs) I'd have gone Orson Welles. I'm like, I need someone to star in this. Oh, I know a guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's great. You're going to love him. (laughs) So all in all, it sounds like we're both fairly middling on it. I'm I'm guessing your score is a five. Your it's a good it's a good guess. Yeah, I'm a four. Oh shit! Yeah, I don't think it's very good. I myself am a six, if for nothing else other than I just I loved seeing these characters again, and I I was happy with I was happy with at least the characterization. Although I didn't love moments where the story went. I was happy for two hours to just sit there and see these characters being these characters again. And um, things like the score and stuff like that. So, for me, I'm a six. Yeah. The idea of this film at the end of Split is, for me, a lot better than the reality of this film. I I agree. The the ending of Split, when you see David Dunn sitting there and you get the mention of of Glass, yes, I agree. Yeah. I also thought the naming of this film- why? Why is it called Glass? Yeah, because you've got yeah you've got one that was named after I suppose yeah so that each character has a film that's essentially named after them. Yeah, but you're right. This Glass is not the right name for this film. No, give us that film then. Give us something that relates more to Glass. Exactly. Glass doesn't talk for the first half of this film, and when he does, yeah. he's 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 really a fairly side character. Yeah, it's. What I love about Unbreakable is you watch the first half of that movie not knowing it's a superhero movie. You don't know it's a comic book movie until quite late in the game whereas this yeah i don't know don't call it glass don't don't do what you did Shyamalan. Yeah. it's kind of like the problem going into a Shyamalan film where you already know the the thing really yeah like there isn't a big reveal yeah. so much to be had in this film which is what so much of it of course normally leans on yes uh, yeah. so yeah four four out of ten for me so i didn't like i didn't hate it yeah i was just I was really meh. I mean, what I wouldn't do, though, is is recommend it to anyone who, who wasn't a fan of the first two. Certainly. If, if you're just Joe Blow off the street is like, oh, I'm going to go catch a movie, what's this? I, would, I wouldn't bother seeing it because this leans so heavily on the previous two. This is, this is like Infinity War. This isn't a movie on its own. All righty. What are we getting to next week, buddy? Next week, we're, well, we're kind of in the Oscar run. Yeah, we are. So- Finally getting some, uh, some big- you know, Oscar buzzy films coming out in this part of the world. <laughs> so we're going to um, go and see Green Book and hopefully um, keep our bits in our pants, <laughs> unlike the director. <laughs> I uh, I think I must be the only person in the world who is a Farrelly Brothers fan. Maybe. I, I, I love the Farrelly Brothers. I think something about Mary is one of the greatest comedies of the last 50 years. Crickets. I <laughs> <laughs> can't believe you don't like that movie. <laughs> So I'm I'm interested at the prospect of a Farrelly having an award because <laughs> I mean ten years ago who would have thought a Farrelly brother would have a picture with Oscar buzz? Not I. No. <laughs> so yeah, I'm 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 curious to see it. I'm looking forward to it. There's been a bit of controversy around the film, obviously, with things like you know the the family of Don Shirley come out and saying, "Well, this is not real," and then the screenwriter saying, "Well, yes, it is," and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said a couple of other things were real as well. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's oh right. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. I am looking forward to the film itself, though. Are, are you? Yeah, I am. I've been looking forward to it ever since it was on at the Toronto Film Festival where it won the audience prize, yeah. which is nor- which normally is a really good indicator for a movie. So, yeah. 
yeah, I'm keen for it. All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, throw us a couple of dollars. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing and get access to some bonus episodes and choose a movie for us to watch, that kind of stuff. And catch you later. Go watch a movie, everyone. Oh, yeah.